Everybody say filters. I told you last week when we started talking about filters, you're going to see filters everywhere. How many saw filters everywhere this week, right? The example I gave you was I just recently got a new-to-us car, um, and it was a Hyundai Elantra. And now I've noticed everybody has a Hyundai Elantra. Everywhere I look, I see that same car, usually the same color. It's crazy. And what I realize is, like, those cars were there all the time. It's just that my filter just changed, right? And so I'm looking through a different filter, and so I see things a little bit differently. I shared with you a couple verses last week. I'm just going to highlight them again quickly, and then we'll come back to our main verse, and we'll read it together. But John 16, 13 says this, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is to come. That part about he will guide you into all the truth. I told you last week that the, the hardest part about filters is realizing that we have them. Remember that? And so we need the Holy Spirit to do what we just read, right? We need the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. Philippians 1, 9 through 10 promises that if we will have greater insight and more discernment. Paul said this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's talking about the way we see things so that you may be able to discern, have greater discernment. Right? We want to see things differently so that we'll have greater discernment. So here's why we need the Spirit. Number one, because filters change how we see what we see. That's our big idea for the whole series. You learn that, you got the whole series. I mean, come back every week because it's going to be good. But filters change how we see what we see, right? They don't change what we see. We're talking during the break, Jennifer's example about the glasses. It's a perfect example because when she put the glasses on, Nothing changed, but how she saw those things changed, right? So filters change how we see what we see. Um, our filters are usually invisible to us. And, man, if, if, if bad filters are left in place, we run the risk of them becoming permanent. Can you imagine going through your whole life thinking everything's supposed to be blurry from 10 feet away? But there are people who refuse to admit they have a filter and need glasses, need something. And they would, if you ask them, what's reality like? They would say, um, everything is blurry. That's just how it is. That filter runs the risk of becoming permanent. You know people who are outside of the grace of Jesus changing them permanently bitter, permanently hurt, permanently cynical because they've allowed that filter to become permanent. Last week I told you that we need to do four things when it comes to filters. We need to realize that we have them. We need to recognize the danger of them. We need to remove the bad ones and replace them with good ones, right? So those four are words. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm assuming that I did a, at least a good enough job last week. This might be a big assumption. I'm assuming I did at least a good enough job that I don't have to convince you anymore to realize that everybody has filters. So I think we can just, for the rest of the series, take that first R off the table I don't have to pound that into pound you into submission over that. We all know that we all have filters, right? You have a filter. I promise you that. So here's what we're going to do. As we go forward, each week we're going to take a look at different filters. And I want us to just follow this three-step process every single week. I want us to recognize it, remove it, and replace it. Okay? Recognize, remove, replace. That's your three-step process for everything we talk about for the rest of this series. Recognize the filter that we're talking about, remove it if it needs to be removed, and replace it with something that God says you need to replace it with. That makes sense? Recognize, remove, replace.
All right, so um, our filters are what? Invisible to us. So we need who? The Holy Spirit to help us recognize. I'm just making sure that it's, and you and I are so, you're, you're just killing it. You could come preach this probably, right? So here's what we're going to do. Every single week, we're going to start the teaching by praying Psalm 139, 23 and 24. From the message, it'll be up on the screen in 3, 2, 1. Ha! Those people in the back are amazing, aren't they? Give it up for them in the back. Come on, they're killing it. If we could see them, they're turning red right now. I want us to pray this, okay, out loud together because we're coming to the Word of God with this mentality. I need you to search me, God. I need you to help me. Don't help me realize that I have a filter. Help me recognize that I have this filter that we're talking about today, okay? So here we go. <clears throat> Clear out your voice. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Let's pray it together. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. I'm so glad that you prayed that because this morning we're talking about the filter of pride. Huh. Tons of verses. If you're a note taker, just jot down all of these scripture verses that I'm going to give you. Um, pride is one of those internal attitudes that can be hard to spot, right? There's a good pride that we see in Scripture. If you've ever done a good job and you kind of like, man, I did a good job. That's a good kind of a pride. But then every, most every reference to pride in Scripture is negative, okay? So um, I, I say that up front because I know how, how our human minds work. And so I'm going to start teaching you on pride. And some of you are going to sit there, and right now you're already going, I mean, this doesn't apply to me. I'm just, I've just got the good pride. Right, right. But we, that's why we prayed that prayer, so that the Holy Spirit can show you that you probably don't just have the good pride. Here's a few examples. Here's where we start with Scripture. A, t- a couple of examples of pride that are it's negative in Scripture. Second Chronicles 26.16 says this, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was a king. He became powerful. His pride led to his downfall. Acts Chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. That's what kings do. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. I read that verse and think, what would it be like if I stood at the door every Sunday and as y'all walked out, you are just like, dude, that was just like the voice of a God. Well, his response, verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Kids, did y'all hear that? The dude got eaten by worms. What in the world? Isaiah chapter 10, verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. Now, again, Pride can be hard to spot in ourselves. Here are a couple of verses about why it's hard to spot pride and and clues that we might have that filter of pride working in our heart. Malachi 3.13. God says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, yet you ask, what have we said against you? Here's, Here's a test if you have the filter of pride operating in your life. 
when you can't receive correction, you probably got a filter of pride. When the Lord Almighty says, you have done this, and your response is, when did I do that? Right? Like, that's, that could be pride operating in your life. 1 John 2, 16 says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. When I read that, what I wrote down was, if, if you talk about what you've accomplished and what you've accumulated. I think about the verse where the man said, hey, let's build bigger barns, right, because i got so much stuff. If, if all you talk about is what you've done in this life, then you have fallen prey to what John said was the pride of life, and it doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. Basically, sinful pride is excessive self-esteem. Does that make sense? And you know people. I'm talking right I know you're supposed to be thinking about yourself, but aren't you thinking about somebody else right now? You're thinking about somebody like, dude, that's them. That is so them. I know this guy, he just talks about what he's accumulated. He's all about himself. She's such a, she's so conceited. You're already thinking about people. You can imagine how this filter would change the way that someone sees what they are. So I want you to recognize it. I want you to hear those verses and just start asking yourself and asking the Holy Spirit, do I have a filter of pride in my life? I'm going to give you an answer. Yes. Right? I think all of us struggle with this filter. It's just hard sometimes to recognize that we have it because we're so busy seeing it in everybody else. So if we're going to have a kingdom filter, then we're going to have to remove the filter of pride and replace it. So right, we want to recognize it, we want to remove it, and we want to replace it. So we just talked about how to recognize it, right, all these verses about pride in the Bible. And, and there's so many more we could have read, right? But now I want to help you remove it and replace it. So here's how we're going to do this. I've got, uh, got like six or seven verses here. I just want to read to you how the Bible talks about pride versus humility, okay? Because if you're going to remove the filter of pride, you need to replace it with the filter of humility. Make sense? Okay, so we're going to get rid of pride. We're going to put it in place. We're going to put humility. And why is that? Because filters change how we see what we see. So if you're looking through the filter of pride, then everything in your world revolves around who? You. But when you look at the world through the filter of humility, then that's when you see things like Jesus said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. He was looking through a filter of humility. So here's some, just jot these down. I'll read them to you. They'll be on the screen too, I think. They, they, just, they put so many verses in this week. They killed it. Proverbs 11, 12, 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So pride brings disgrace and humility brings wisdom. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. So if you're comparing it, pride takes us down. Humility lifts us up. James 4, 6. But he, God, gives more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Um, here in my mind, this is how I see that. Pride closes God's hand against us. Do you see that? 
God opposes the proud. Um, that literally in the, in, the, in the Greek, that's a word that's a legal word. And it basically means this. If you're proud, if you have a filter of pride in your life, you have put yourself in direct opposition to God. And what it means in a legal term is you're the one that's on trial, and when you look across the room to see who's prosecuting you, it's God. He opposes the proud. He brings an, a case against the proud. I don't know how you are. I've never been taken to court. But if I'm ever in court, I'd like to not have God on the other side. Right? And the filter of pride puts him on the other side. He opposes the proud. So pride closes God's hand to us. But humility opens his hand toward us. Do you see that? He opposes the proud, ugh, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're highlighting verses, that's one to highlight. James 4, 6. Um, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Pride isolates from people. Humility associates with people. It makes me think of high school cafeterias. Remember those days, y'all? Like where everybody sat at, it's almost like it were, they were designated tables, and I never quite made it to the cool one, right? You, you, see, you see this verse, like pride isolates you from people. Well, you can't sit at this table. This is for the good, this is a good table, the jocks, right? And then I was sitting with the band geeks, right? Which that, now it's cool to be band geek, right? Like that, I'm saying that back in the day, that wasn't like true, true story. I was given, how many of you lettered in, in high school? You got a letter, a letter jacket and got a letter. I got a letter too, but my letter said band. <laughs> yeah. So I sewed it on the inside of my letter jacket, <laughs> It wasn't cool, but it's cool now. This is a good time to be alive. But back then, it wasn't cool, right? So, like, when I read Romans 12, 16, I just picture this high school cafeteria and how pride isolates certain people from certain people, but humility is willing to associate with people. Psalm 138, 6. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Now, just give me a second to make, help make this sense out of this. I just put down that pride drives God away and humility draws God near. So when we're proud and prideful in what we've done, do you see that we no longer need God? So what that verse says is, hey, God's, he's exalted, but he's going to come close to the humble. And if he comes close to the humble, then the inverse is true as well, that if we're proud, he's not going to come close to us. There's another verse that says when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Proud people rarely draw near to God because they don't need to. At least they don't think they do. Proverbs 15, 25. We're almost done. Y'all doing okay? Okay. Like they tell you when you preach to only preach about one verse, and I just blew that out of the water today because we got like 100. It's Okay. What I'm hoping you catch is just the weightiness of God's word. Like his word speaks about pride, y'all. The weightiness of it. Proverbs 15, 25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, 
but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. I just put down that pride invites the Lord's destruction and humility invites the Lord's protection. Now, there are days that I look at my house and I'm like, God, if you just want to tear it down, (laughs) we'll rebuild, right? We think of a million ways to rebuild our house better. But this is more about our lives. Your life is is a house. You're building something with your life. And when you have a filter of pride, you're inviting the Lord's destruction on your life. I feel like I need to hammer that home a second. Are y'all good? Are we good? I've had people, and I've had people tell me, like, and if you've never heard this, you have no idea how bad it feels. But I've had people say, like, I don't get anything out of your messages. And, and so my response is not... Well, you should because I'm the best preacher ever because that's the filter of pride. But my response to those people is, really, like, if I'm the worst preacher on the planet and I'm reading God's word, you can't get anything out of God's word? Because pride doesn't come to God's word to receive. Pride comes to God's word to prove why everybody else needs that. But humility comes and says, I need whatever God can give me. So a few statements. Food critics will pick apart a wonderful meal. A starving person will eat anything. Pride makes us a food critic, right? The worship was okay, but gosh, I wish you'd had a drummer. Me too, right? And like an electric guitarist and all. But if we can't worship to what we have, then that's a filter. If we leave because it's not how I prefer it, that's a filter. Did you see what I'm saying? This isn't me being angry. This is the Word of God speaking. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. He tears it down. Like I picture like the big ball, like the wrecking ball just hitting a house and smashing it. And we don't like to think of God that way. We like to think of God like, oh, it's going to be okay, and you meant well, and we, I love you. and well, He does all of those things, but he also tears down the house of the proud. But he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. He protects the humble person. And he's like, no, no, you will not step on their property. You will not rob them. You will not take from them. And this is all the filter of pride. That's why we have to get it out of the way. We've got to remove that filter and replace it with Humility. Proverbs sixteen nineteen. Did I do a good do a good job beating that up? Okay, we can move on. Okay, good. Proverbs sixteen nineteen. Oh man, I love this. Better to be lowly in spirit. That means humble. Better to be humble along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. I just put down in my notes: pride is never satisfied, and humility is always content. Which are you? Right? I mean, think about that. He's saying, I'd rather be in prison and humble than to be rich and proud. Because he so wants humility. Now, um, it seems like all of those verses should be enough for me to give an altar call right now and all of us pray, dear God, remove this filter of pride from my life. Right? But just in case you need one more, let's, let's look at Psalm 10, 4. 
This may be the most sobering verse that I read in my studies about pride. It says this, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, him being God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that if, you're, if you have a filter of pride, that you would come to church and you would hear me talk about Jesus and how God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And even as I preach about that, in your mind, there's not even room for a thought about God because you're like, that's stupid because, I mean, I, look at me. I don't need a Savior. Do you see how that works? And so eventually... There's not even room. The pride pushes out even the capacity to consider God. Oh, see, I'm not doing a good job because y'all are just like, are we going to get a coffee break? I really want you to get this. That if we live our lives with the filter of pride, if we don't remove it, if it becomes permanent, we don't even consider God. So how do we replace it? If you want to, and I'm hoping you do, right? A lot of people um, think that pastors are supposed to have all the answers, but they don't. So today, I'm going to leave you with questions. Y'all good with that? Some of you are. Some of you are like, not really, right? Here's some questions. They're all going to be based out of Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to read it. Um, and, and then we'll go back and go through a, a few specific verses. I'll give you some questions. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is usually when we bring out um, a basin with a towel and I wash your feet. But that's too easy, right? I'd rather have you ponder these questions. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Ask yourself this question. What does it look like to value others above yourself? I, I can't answer that for you. I can only tell you this, that it means that every single person I meet has something to offer my life. If you're, um, any athletes in the house? If you ever got to sit down and, and, be, and have a conversation with your favorite athlete, the person who's at the top of the, their game in your sport, how would you approach that conversation? Hopefully with pen, paper, or at least your notes app, right? Like you're taking notes, you're asking questions. You, you want to learn. You're a sponge. 
And when the Bible says to value others above yourself, that's what it means. What would it look like if everybody approached everybody in the church with that mentality? Verse 4, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. What would a body of believers look like if everyone took an interest in everyone else? Verse 6, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What are you holding on to that makes it hard to serve? This is the quiet portion of the sermon. What are you holding on to that makes it hard to serve? I, I can't serve because... I can't serve people because whatever that because is, you got your hand on it. And that would be like Jesus saying to the Father, I, I can't go to the cross because I'm holding on to who I am. I'm holding on to my equality, my position. What are you holding on to that makes it hard to serve? In verse 8, Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross so as followers of Christ, last question, what does it look like to follow the example of Jesus? That example, right? Like, did you see the part about death? What does it look like as a believer? Because we're Christians, right? So Christian means little Christ. We're, supposed, we're, we're disciples. Our mission here is to become disciples of Jesus. And so we're becoming more and more like Jesus the longer that I'm his disciple, the more I should look like him and the less I should look, at, like, look like me. That was tough to say. So when I come to verse 8 and I read verses like, holy cow, his humility led to his death. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, there's your verse. So what would it look like? What does it look like to follow that example in your life? I'm trying to figure out what it looks like in my life, right? I'm not meddling in your business. I got my own business. But you better ask yourself that question. What does it look like as a believer to, to do that? And I told you last week that we would have to have grace as we go through this series, right? Do you see why? We got to have grace for one another, man, because we're going to blow it, fail miserably. You're not going to like the way I said it. I might not like the way you received it, right? Like, I might not like that I had to say it. I might not like hearing myself say it. We just need grace as we go through this. Filters change how we see what we see. The world looks so different when we see through humility instead of pride. And so I just want to close this out um, with one last passage of Scripture. I've done really, really well, y'all. Come on. Last, last passage, they're going to put it up there. You don't have to read it, but you're going to see all of it at the same time. And I just want to read to you one, a parable that Jesus told. It's just a perfect way for us to illustrate the difference between the pride filter and a humility filter. I just want you to listen to it. It comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, when we read verse 9, I immediately think of all the people that bullied me in high school. Do you? Do you think of all the people that are mean to you? Like, uh, yeah, Jesus is telling you a story, buddy, and you better listen up. But I've just spent the last 25 minutes or so trying to convince you to not think about how everybody else needs to hear what Jesus is getting ready to say. He's telling it to you. 
He's telling it to me. We're the ones that like to look down at other people, right? And so this is what Jesus told us, verse 10. Everybody say, he's talking to me. Yeah, you didn't sound like you believe it, but he really is talking to you. Here we go. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Two people went to church at the gathering. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. One owns a beautiful home. The other doesn't have a home. One took a shower. The other did not. One has a full belly. The other does not. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. I'm so so thankful that I'm not like all the bad people in the world. And even like this tax collector. Like he pointed that dude out to God. If you've ever come to church and seen somebody else and thought to yourself, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that, I'm not going to sugarcoat this part of the message for you. You can just sit there and stew in it. I fast twice a week. I'm on the board. I'm an elder. I give a tenth of all I get. I tithe. Hold on, I'm just breathing for a second. God takes pride seriously. Verse 13. Look at the difference. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you know why only one of them went home with mercy? Because only one of them asked for mercy. It's not because he was humble. It's because he recognized his need and asked God to meet it. And the filter of pride keeps us from recognizing our need. And so we never ask God for what he already knows we need. We just list all the reasons why we don't need. I don't really need your help, God, because I fast twice a week and I give a lot of money. This morning, I want you to go home justified. I want you to go home with mercy from God. But it requires you saying to God, I need that mercy. Right, And for some of us, it means removing the pride. And listen, I've been the Pharisee, and I might be the Pharisee again. I have found myself praying things like, well, at least I'm not that. But God's like, we don't need to talk about that. Let's talk about you, right? Let's talk about where you are. Can I close this morning with a quick story? Y'all good with that? And then we'll pray. When I was in high school, um, I told you I was never at the cool kids' table. I don't know if I was supposed to be at the cool kids' table. I think I was, actually, because my dad had some um, standing in the community, right? So I don't think I hung out with the right people. But there was this, this one girl in our, in our class, and um, she just didn't fit in at all. And she got picked on all the time. And I would sit with her at, at lunch. 
like not in a dating way, just like just sitting with her, you know. And, and I don't know that I even had a real gospel motive. I just felt bad for her, so I would hang out with her. But when she wasn't around, I'd make fun of her too, right? So I'm not the hero of the story here, just making sure we're clear. And, and I saw her like at, I don't know, like 10 or 15-year reunion, and she was still like really heavy set. And she came up to me, and here's what she said. You were the only one that was a friend of me in high school. And it, it just cut me to the core. Because in my head, I'm thinking, I wasn't even a friend. Like, I hung out with you, but then I would mock you behind your back. It, I mean, I was devastated. But, but her life was different because she perceived it a certain way. Now, and I thought, there's a filter example, isn't it? Like, I was giving her something because I felt like I was the good white dude that could give her something. That was my filter. I'm earning something. But her filter was, I just need friendship. I'm just hungry for somebody to love me, to see me. And, and, and she received what I gave through a bad filter. She received it with a good filter. And her life was different 10, 15 years later. Just, she, she still would point back. Like, you were the only friend I had. You were the only person who was nice to me in high school. And I'm, I'm walking away going, God, you know my heart. I don't, I don't think I was even nice. It's, it's, I say that because pride is deceptive. And pride will, will convince you that you don't need what we just read about. And if it wasn't in the Bible that many times, then... We're kidding ourselves not to think we need this. And every, every filter we talk about from this point forward, if, you don't, if we don't recognize pride and get rid of pride, the next few filters are just a waste of time. I, I'll say this boldly. Stay home. Don't come back if you can't deal with pride first. Because I need these seats to be full of people who will see their need. We need to come humbly to the Lord and repent of pride because pride has clouded our vision. Pride has clouded how we see even a good God who will give what we need. And so I want us to close this morning praying for him to remove that from us and for us to do the work of replacing it with humility, to see through a filter that says, I don't deserve anything I have. I receive it, and I want to share it, and I want to give to others from a, a humble heart. I want you to walk out of here like that tax collector who received the mercy of God and was justified, and, and hopefully we never find ourselves, because we know what it's like to receive his mercy, praying about how bad the other people are that received his mercy. I feel like this is a really heavy way to end the message. Are you all good? Okay, so why don't you close your eyes? <laughs> We'll just, we'll just pray it out. And we sang that song about abiding this morning. And when you abide with the Lord, we romanticize it, right? Like, it's awesome. I abide with Jesus, and he gives me nutrients, and I, I just bear all this fruit. When we abide with the vine, just the very fact of abiding is, is an act of humility, like, I can't go anywhere else. I've got to cling to you. You're all that I have. And this morning, I just want, I want to call you to that place, right? Because when you recognize that filter, 
and you remove that filter, man, the Lord is so quick to replace it with a filter of humility. And, and that's when we start to look like Jesus, who was a humble servant king. And so if you're here and you, you recognize, okay, God, I got this filter of pride, and I just I want to remove it. I just want you to put your hand in the air. I, my eyes are closed. I'm, I've got my hand up. You just respond to the Lord right now, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I pray right now for those that have raised their hands. God, we, we do this as an act of surrender. Like we're waving the white flag on pride. We don't want this filter any longer. God, I thought about this this morning early, like, like in our culture right now, how much would humility stand out, right? Like everybody's proud, but it's going to be the humble that stand out because just because we're different. And so we say, do that for us, God. Mark us with humility. God, help us to have the attitude of Christ who didn't grasp and hold on to his position, but but laid it down, God, and stepped humbly into this world all the way to the cross. And so I pray over this room, Lord, people who are asking you to give them that humility, I pray that you'd fill them with the boldness and the strength of the Holy Spirit to step humbly all the way. Because Jesus went all the way to the cross. Because he was humble, and I ask that you would help us to do the same, that we would look like Jesus in this area. And if you agree with that, if that's your heart's cry as well, I'm just going to ask you to say amen.